DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for joining us for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Final day of September, September 30th. I always have to remember it's final day. I use the old poem, 30 days has September, April, June, and November. And that's how I remember that September is among those that only have 30 days. Um, let's get right to our panel uh, today. Kevin Riley is with us as he is on most Thursdays. He is the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, we're really happy that you're here with us today, Kevin. Thank you for joining us. It's always great to be here, Bill. And we've made it through September is what it looks like. So now on to October. Uh, very quickly, uh, your Cleveland Indians played their last game under that name. Yes, and they are out of contention, so the whole controversy sort of fizzles out weekly here in the 2021 season. What's the What's the new name? Uh, I can't even remember at this point. No, the Guardians. Okay, uh, that's the Guardians. The okay. Margaret Coker uh, joins us for today's show as well. She's the editor-in-chief of The Current, the nonprofit newspaper based along the Georgia coast in Savannah. Uh, Margaret, we're so happy to have you back with the show. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. And you're at a wedding. What a wonderful thing to be doing this weekend. (laughs) I've I've married someone who does not hail from the South, um, so I'm in the great state of Minnesota where the weather is crisp and light. Oh, terrific. Well, say a quick hello to Amy Klobuchar for all of us here on Political Rewind. Chart Riggle joins us today, a reporter for the Marietta Daily Journal. How are you doing today, Chart? I'm, I'm great, Bill. I'm, um, I'm not thrilled about the cold weather rolling in, but, you know, oh, being Atlanta, oh, we've, okay. we've, got another, we've got another month of heat, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, we're going to get, yeah, that's probably true. We're going to get to a couple of things about Cobb County specifically that you can help us address uh, that are even less thrilling in some ways than the cold weather you're dreading. We'll do that as the show continues. Kevin, let's start with a look at um, the fact that the Republican legislators who are promoting the notion of a separate city of Buckhead have now announced that they are going to uh, uh, hold hearings in the state Senate about the viability of and the feasibility of Buckhead becoming a separate city. It won't be voted on. It's going to require a referendum that won't take place until uh, next a year from fall, from November. Uh, But the fact they're moving forward now suggests they really are eager to do this, and they believe they're building momentum uh, to make it happen, Kevin. Well, another way to look at it, too, Bill, I think, is Georgia has found its own separate wedge issue. You know, we we talk about those kind of issues on the national scene, but this Buckhead City thing is becoming that, or uh, uh, what some people refer to it as as Buxit. Like uh, like Brexit, right? Um, so I, I, you know, it's it's an odd situation because the traditions, as we all know, in the uh, state legislature is when these kinds of things come up. Although this is a very much a one-off, 
but it's normally the local legislators who are asked to carry the bills or push the bills or write the bills. And, and there's no, no requirement for that, of course. But, but in this case, um, the folks doing that are, are not the people who represent that area. Yeah. In fact, there used to be a requirement that local legislation did have to come out of the delegation that represented the community, but they, the legislature changed that. And uh, no one in the Buckhead area who represents this, no one who represents Buckhead has signed on to this. But Margaret, here's why I think this issue really is important. I think it's important to the whole state for any number of reasons. But one of them is it's pretty clear that Republicans are going to push this in part because a big theme of their election efforts for next year are going to be focused on crime in major cities. And that would include, oh, say, Savannah down on the coast. Yes? Yeah, that's for sure. Public safety and crime is going to be one of the top issues uh, next year, for sure. And, you know, a rise in violent crime, I think, is what we're seeing all over the state of Georgia. In Savannah, we are seeing that. What we're not seeing um, like Atlanta, we're not seeing a rise in our murder rate. That's pretty flat. But you know, for you know, one of the things that we've been focused on here at the current all year long is doing real deep dives into why public safety institutions have failed us over um, the course of several years. And it's pretty surprising to me that you know another big issue of home rule and small government that the city of Buckhead is actually looking to duplicate a lot of public services and create new bureaucracies all at the same time. And maybe that's what it'll take for people to feel safe, but I'm not sure. It takes a long time to recruit a new police force. They're looking at over 220 um, new officers uh, to, to, um, to try and patrol the streets of Buckhead. That is not just about money. That is about actually building up capacity. It's building up leadership. It's building up new ways of policing that, frankly, takes a really long time. It's not just um, a one-off election issue. This is talking about years and years and years of hard work. Yeah. You know, Chart, obviously there's uh, no argument that it is the city of Atlanta that drives the economic engine of the state in so many ways. Uh, according to the feasibility study conducted by Valdosta State for the Buckhead group that wants to break away, they say, yes, Buckhead could sustain itself from the financial, from the tax revenues that they'll collect within the Buckhead boundaries. But Atlanta could lose as much as $116 million and more in net revenues. And, and, and you know, Chart, the question becomes, if that happens, uh, it's like the, the, the city of, of Atlanta ends up, you know, going on the dole from the state to try to support itself. I mean, in the long run, who pays for this shortfall? Right. And, and as several people have pointed out already, there's, there's a lot of holes in that study. Um, that, that came out of Valdosta State. And, and I think it's worth noting, um, as, as other reporters have pointed out, um, you know, the, the gold standard, the, the, the best study you can get is, is from the Carl Vinson Institute at UGA um, mm -hmm. or the, the Andy Young School at, at um, Georgia State. Um, Bill White and, and the Buckhead folks uh, ended up with Valdosta State and got their study out of a program that's only existed for three years. And a lot of things were not addressed in that, including sanitation. There's the massive question of what to do about water and schools. Um, and, you know, one would hope that the hearings that are supposedly going to be held later this year are going to investigate some of those issues. Um, but we'll have to see. And, and just one other thing, I, I think it's worth noting on the, 
the crime front, which has become, you know, it's it's the issue in the Atlanta mayor's race. Um, it's probably, you know, Governor Kemp has talked a lot about it, um, talked a lot about getting things in Atlanta under control. But specifically to Buckhead, I, I do think it's worth noting that the vast majority of violent crime and uh, homicides are, are not happening in Buckhead. I, I think it's a yeah. it's a perception issue of, um, you know, a, a few incidents happening, you know, on Cheshire Bridge Road, near near interstates, things like that. Um, but the, the the average Buckhead resident is, is not confronting these issues, well, maybe like the rest of the city. I would say in some ways the real high-profile incidents that, that are smaller than other parts of the city are happening around Lenox Mall. And, of course, that really, mm-hmm. really uh, uh, activates some of those Buckhead people who are nervous. Kevin, you want a quick remark before we get to our break? Yeah, I'll say three quick things. The study pointed out that Buckhead was a viable was viable as a city financially. That was never a question. It almost answered a question that the people who were supporting the study wanted to support. You mentioned my Cleveland connection. I lived there as a very young man uh, when that city defaulted, and it had affected the entire Northeast Ohio region. If something like that happens to Atlanta, it will be a sad day. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it looks like the legislators want this to be a 2022 issue for the vote at the same time we've got a big governor's race. Let's think about that. Uh, Margaret, we should say that Jen Jordan, who does represent uh, part of Buckhead in the state Senate, uh, she's dismissing the whole effort, saying this is a bunch of Republican legislators looking for their moment in the sun. Now, that's a, a, a good line for her, but it's more than that. I mean, it looks like this thing could pick up momentum. Greg Bluestein suggested it's very possible that Governor Kemp's going to support this effort. Right. But at the end of the day, the residents of Buckhead are going to be the ones who give it a thumbs up or thumbs down. Right. I mean, it can be a Republican talking point, just like two years ago, defunding the Glen County police was a was a statewide Mm. talking point. And then people in Glen County decided that actually um, it was illegal, um, according to to um, the judge that adjudicated that issue. But people were um, it was very controversial locally, too. So to be continued. I, I didn't mean to step on your last uh, words there. Um, okay, we're down to the last two days of the fall pledge drive here at GPB Radio. I know you'll all be very happy when it is over with. And one of the reasons I know you will is you say to us, gee, we like having more time for talk on your show. Well, one way to assure that we'll have plenty of time to talk in the weeks and months ahead is for as many people as possible who have the ability to support our programming. I've said it over and over again. All of the production costs for this show come from donations from people like you who like what we're doing here at Political Rewind. If you're one of them, if you haven't had a chance to contribute yet, uh, this is a great time to do it. Here's how. Journalists from three outstanding news organizations in Georgia with us today, Kevin Riley, editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Margaret Coker, editor-in-chief of The Current, which is based down in Savannah, and Chart Riggle, a reporter at the Marietta Daily Journal. Chart, there's never a lack of news to cover in Cobb County. Um, Southern Poverty Law Center notified the um, school board up in Cobb that if they didn't strengthen their COVID protocols to protect students with disabilities, uh, they're looking at filing a lawsuit on behalf of those students 
uh, one of the attorneys representing the families who were encouraging this lawsuit said, causing parents of students with significant medical conditions to make an impossible choice, speaking of what he believes, they, they believe, the families believe Cobb School uh, District is doing, they're having to choose between their child's education or their child's lives. Um, the school board responds by saying, we're following the protocols uh, because masking isn't necessarily shown to be the best preventative, but it's the CDC that's calling for uh, mandates. Um, Chart, where do things stand right now? Yeah, I mean, this is this is really just the latest episode in, in about a year long, maybe more, um, you know, argument over masking in schools. And, and the district, as with, you know, the rest of the country, and um, has, has started to see a slight decline uh, in, in new COVID cases in, in recent weeks. Um, and so the superintendent, Chris Ragsdale, um, said last week, he, he gave a big presentation at the school board meeting, um, comparing Cobb to several other school districts and, and basically saying, look, you know, you look at the numbers and based on, you know, we're not doing any better or any worse than districts who do or don't have mass mandates. There were some Metro Atlanta districts that were left out of that, um, which do have mass mandates, but that's a different discussion. Um, but I, I, the, the district seems to basically uh, feel that it has been vindicated in its policies at this point. Um, and, and that's kind of where things stand. School board remains very polarized after that presentation last week. The three Democrats and the minority on the board tried to uh, ask questions of Ragsdale. They were denied that opportunity um, by the chair, and they promptly got up and walked out of the meeting. So never a dull moment. Yeah. Margaret, um, Mayor Fan of Van Johnson has always been, from the very start of the pandemic, in the vanguard of insisting on mitigation protocols. He was one of the first mayors, I think the first, to put a mask mandate in place back last year in 2020 when the virus really started hitting. Uh, he lifted it late uh, in the spring this year, and he put it right back in place when the Delta virus started uh, uh, spreading. Um, what, what's partly interesting about that is he does this in defiance of Governor Kemp, who says mask mandates aren't allowed. Yep, he's he's gotten away um, with it so far, maybe because Savannah feels so far away from the governor's mansion. But um, our our local school board is is not always unified on important um, topics. Uh, but I think there is at least within the Savannah Metro District and greater Chatham County, there's usually a um, sort of a sense of goodwill that people, no matter where you vote on the political spectrum, you assume goodwill among your neighbors and you assume goodwill among these people who are serving with you because it is not easy to take up a, um, an elected position right now. And there's, um, there's some, I think, a, a larger sense of, of civic responsibility um, down here in, in Savannah. Kevin, you know, um, it's I think Margaret makes a great point that um, where what are you supposed to do if you're in a position of, of authority? And in particular, I don't envy uh, school superintendents or school boards as they try to navigate this because they have lawsuits from parents on both sides both sides of the issue. In fact, one of the things I wanted to ask Chart, um, I'm assuming, right, you're at some of these uh Cobb County School Board meetings. I mean, what's it like to be in the room when this stuff is going on? You, you know, it's my county commission is is more of my purview. Um, 
but you know, I, I talk to my colleagues who are at these things and it's, it's pretty much tense. I think every, from, from the minute the doors are open to, to the meeting wraps up. Um, and, and some of that has started to spill over into the County commission meetings where we've had folks, oh, you'll recognize some of the same faces in photographs from the school board meetings and they'll come over to County commission meetings and, and protest against County COVID po policies. Um, but my my impression from my colleagues has been um, very tense, to say the least. So, uh, Kevin, Margaret made, I'm sorry, Chart uh, made a point in talking about uh, the debate in the school board. Uh, the Democratic members, the three Democrats, they supported mask mandates. They weren't listened to. Um, it's just another example, Kevin. Let's state the obvious. There's no reason in the world why protecting people from COVID-19 should be a partisan issue, but obviously it is everywhere. It absolutely has become that kind of thing to the point where I think average citizens um, are worried about whether they have a mask on or not, depending on where they go and how people might react to them. Instead of it being this sort of common sense thing, well, it, you know, if you consider it a bit of an inconvenience, um, but it does all of this good. And it, there isn't much question, I don't think. I mean, I know that Cobb presented some sort of, uh, you know, uh, results or, or some sort of survey of comparing themselves to other districts. But I don't think there's much debate about there being a value in masks uh, and doing it. And um, I get that, you know, I think the law, you know, some of the lawsuits involve uh, it, it, it can it can give kids anxiety and it, it, it can give kids who have trouble, you know, with asthma or something, some some challenges. I mean, I understand that for a small group of people, they could be real implications. But I mean, just get a shot, wear a mask. I mean, let's try to get through this thing. It doesn't seem complicated. Margaret. I do believe that um, we should try and make all children as safe and secure as possible. And for those kids who do have real medical issues, I think there are, there, there are exceptions to mask mandates for them. Um, but the greater good is something that is, is, is a concept that's being lost, I think, in, in some of these hyper-partisan debates. You know, in Glen County, where we cover um, the news, they've had to pull in a mobile morgue unit uh, in, in August because death tolls from COVID are, are going up. You know, kids are getting sick, teachers are getting sick in school. And even if you can count them on one hand or two hands, the fact is that it's happening. And don't we want to try and help our neighbors have uh, improve their quality of life and help our kids um, learn in the best possible circumstances that, that, that we can offer them? Chart, you had another story in Cobb County that caught people's attention. Pope High School, where uh, there were symbols of hatred, uh, Nazi symbols, swastika, um, other symbols uh, were painted on the school. And what made it bigger, I mean, look, anytime a symbol of hatred like that uh, is painted on a building, it's worthy of, of news. But what was also a little troubling to a lot of people was how slow the county was to respond to it, to condemn it, to point out that it was simply not acceptable. Yeah, I, I, I meant to mention earlier that, you know, as the mass debate is unfolding, it's simultaneously there, there are always about two or three or four different firestorms going on um, in the school district. And 
Um, yeah, mm-hmm. we had we had Pope High School, and then I believe Lassiter High School um, were the yeah. two in in quick succession. It was further inflamed by the fact that it was um, right around Yom Kippur, um, and then the school board had a meeting scheduled on Yom Kippur. So it was just all these things, one on top of the other. Um, there were a lot of folks who were not pleased with how the school board responded, said they should have decried it as anti-Semitism. Um, John Ossoff speaking uh, at, a, at a synagogue on Yom Kippur specifically called out the school district. So it's just, uh, they, they cannot seem to stay out of the headlines um, for better or for worse. And, and that one was just... Um, uh, it, it, it had a, it had a different tenor, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, well, for, for, fortunately they have now condemned it. You know, Kevin, it's interesting to think about Asaf getting involved. Asaf, of course, is Jewish. Um, and, and what's interesting about that in many ways, Asaf is an important symbol. On one hand, you've got this, this hatred, these signs of hatred, a swastika being painted on a school. On the other hand, a, a Jewish member of the United States Senate from Georgia. Sam Olins can tell people how hard it is to be Jewish and get elected statewide. Asaf pulled it off. Right. It puts out in the open the tensions uh, amidst the change in our state. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, you know what? And let's remember, Cobb County is the second largest district in the state, if, I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And so, what they do is always going to have very high visibility. It's just, and and it's you know, it's generally considered a very good school district. I think, I mean, you know, I mean, every school district has problems. They're incredibly complex to run. But it, what's odd to this about this to me is, look, um, it, when something like this happens, I mean, you never really know what the backstory is. And sometimes uh, people, um, you know, can, can depending on their own experiences or information they have, they can be less concerned or more concerned about it. So but you should never minimize it. Right. And what is the downside of a immediate, strong statement against something like this? I mean, that is that is like public relations 101. And I, it just seems odd to 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 kind of fumble that ball. All right. Um, thank you all for uh, uh, that part of our conversation today. We are going to get to our final uh, pledge break of the show today. When we come back, I want to try to dig into what's happening up on the Hill uh, today. It's an important day for, uh, for uh, people across the country, for Democrats, Republicans, for the Speaker of the House, for President Biden. Uh, we'll talk about all that and more when Political Rewind continues. But first, again, here's your opportunity to help us at GPB Radio. If you've already done it, I'm grateful to you. Uh, but here's more on how you can become part of that group. We're back with Margaret Coker, Chart Riggle, Kevin Riley on Political Rewind. We're gonna we're done with pledge uh, for today, so we're gonna take the rest of our time to talk about the story that's been ongoing in Washington. There are people who've been calling this Hell Week on Capitol Hill, and perhaps for good reasons. Uh, so, Kevin Riley, let's break it down. There is one really important deadline that happens tonight at midnight, and at the same time, there are three other. Uh, uh, measures that are getting wide debate up there right now. So let's talk about them. The deadline is that the federal government's fiscal year ends at midnight. October 1st begins a new fiscal year. 
And of course, once again, Congress has not passed a budget which would allow them to spend money for services and other needs. Um, so the uh, Congress today has to pass a continuing resolution which they would uh, put in place through maybe December uh, while they work on a budget. What complicated that for a period of time was that the House was insisting that the continuing resolution be coupled with a measure to raise the debt ceiling, because Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says that on October 18th, the government will run out of the ability to pay its bills. Republicans refused to help raise the debt ceiling, even though they were as much responsible as Democrats for the bills that are coming due uh, that need the debt ceiling raised. So they've been decoupled. And now, Kevin, we do expect that we're going to see a continuing resolution that will avoid a government shutdown temporarily. Sound good so far, Kevin? What do you think? I think I followed that, Bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's just the craziest thing. I mean, it would be simpler if this were not caught up in the big legislative priorities that the Biden administration has, which I know we're also going to get to. But this debt ceiling, uh, money to operate the government thing, you know, is a result of really legislation that passed, I think, back in the 70s or 80s, 60s or somewhere long ago, that where the idea was to try to keep the government from spending too much money. And all it really has turned into is a club with which each side tries to beat the other. And it never, it, it, you know, it just comes up again and again and again. And then it turns into this game of politics. Well, who will be blamed if the government shuts down? And, you know, then it gives it, 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 it provides wonderful fodder for the uh, network news shows, talking heads to do their endless analysis. But I think for average citizens, it's like, you know, uh, in their companies and, and homes, they don't get to operate this way, an uh, endless state of brinksmanship. And it seems just silly. Margaret, um, right now, Republicans are taking a lot of heat uh, because Mitch McConnell basically said, yeah, we, we do eventually, we do have to raise the debt ceiling. Of course we do. We're going to let Democrats do it all on their own. We're not going to participate, which seemed like a naked partisan uh, ploy that, that Republicans could use against Democrats next year. I do think it's important to point out that back in, I think, 2003 or four. It was Democrats who refused to raise the debt ceiling in protest of George W. Bush's uh, Iraqi war. So it's happened on the other side as well. But what, when you see all this unfold, Margaret, you're a veteran journalist. What do you think? Well, I think that there's a lot of um, cheap political points being made at the expense of the American public. You know, the, there is a um, there's a very venerable wing of the Republican Party that has always called for small federal government and for balanced budgets. But, you know, if you look at the data over the course of the last 40 years, it's Republican presidents who are always spending more rather than Democratic presidents. And so at the very end of the day, uh, it's not about ideology. I don't think about what government should whether government should spend money. It's what the government should spend money on. And what we see now is a very divergent set of views between Democrats and Republicans about what is a priority. You know, no one's talking about cutting back military budgets right now. What we're talking about is helping uh, American workers and low-income families um, try to, to, to keep themselves on that ladder of, of upward mobility and fulfilling the American dream. 
And there's a real paucity of policy debate about these issues that are involved in the infrastructure spending bill, whether it is the free college plan that will allow people to, uh, of, of, without much financial means, actually get a degree that helps them get better jobs, whether it's um, child tax credits. If these are things that could be transformative to America. These are also things that are going to cost money. And instead of actually having uh, detailed conversations on network TV or other places, what we're doing is looking at blue and red teams and who's scoring more points. And that's not good. That's not good for us and the next generation to come. Yeah, you, you've sort of anticipated the other issues that are up on the Hill right now um, because Republicans are using a refusal to raise the debt ceiling in some ways as a weapon against this $3.5 trillion social policy measure, which includes a lot of the things that you're talking about that President Biden is uh, proposing. Um, and there's where we take on the other issue here. The Senate has already passed the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, which was bipartisan in nature because everybody wants better roads and bridges in their home communities. Um, on the House side, it's Democrats who are creating a problem with this because the progressive Democrats are saying if we don't take up that $3.5 trillion social policy measure at the same time as the infrastructure measure, we're not going to vote for the infrastructure measure. So chart, Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, has said that she's going to have a vote on infrastructure by the end of the day today, but now she's hedging her bets because the progressives are really, really stubbornly refusing to participate unless they are assured of getting this uh, bigger measure, the social policy measure. Chart, are we going in the right, have we got this straight? <laughs> I, I think y'all have done a, a, an admirable job of, of explaining all this. Um, I, I think, yeah, like you say, uh, the, the showdown in the House between the, the sort of Democratic wings will be very interesting. I, I believe I read the other day that um, Bernie Sanders, who has kind of like been the, the lead figure on the on the big budget bill, um, has you know been urging the House, the House progressive members not to back down. He's saying, you know, if you right. if you vote on this, like it's we're we're done. Um, but I saw someone make a good point the other day about this this three point five trillion dollar bill and, and the fact that because Democrats just have this this at barely majority, just have the 50 votes plus one. Um, and, and so these things, all these things have to go through reconciliation. It's really hard for people who don't get paid to pay attention to this stuff to parse out what's going on here, I think. Because instead of saying, you know, we're going to pass a free college bill, we're going to pass a, uh, you know, a dedicated, you know, child care bill, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that are in um, that that package, uh, the, the liberal wish list, as I think I saw on a billboard on the connector the other day, it's just this huge, all-encompassing thing. And, and it's... It, I, you know, I, I think this is kind of the only option for them to, to move any of that stuff forward. But it's it's really difficult to, to figure out what's actually. Yeah, I, I think. Right, so, Kevin, let's again break those down just separately for another moment. Um, you, you know, I said that the infrastructure bill passed the Senate in a bipartisan manner. It did. But over in the House, it's facing Republican opposition. And some of that opposition is coming from Georgia. 
uh, Republicans who are not at all certain uh, that they're going to vote. In fact, they're probably going to vote against the bill. Buddy Carter, and I'll, I'll ask uh, Margaret, since that's down her way also on this, Buddy Carter is spreading misinformation about it. He's, I've got serious reservations about the fact that depending on whose numbers you believe, only 10 to 20 percent of the trillion dollars in the infrastructure bill actually goes for infrastructure. That's been fact-checked time and time again. It's misinformation. It's not true, but Georgia Republicans may be voting against the measure. The question is what the consequences are for them in terms of the 2022 election cycle. Yeah, Bill, I mean, uh, let's try to remember that this thing was the product of a real effort in the Senate to negotiate. And if I'm not mistaken, Rob Portman, the Republican senator from Ohio, has been pretty openly urging Republicans uh, to vote for the infrastructure bill because, as you said, everyone everyone's a fan of infrastructure. There's There have been some arguments about what infrastructure ought to include here in the 21st century. But this this was like a rare moment where it looked like Congress was actually going to work right the way we want it to work for the people. And now it's it's caught up in a whole bunch of other things. Margaret. Yeah, Buddy Carter has represented us here in the first district for for several years now, and he has an amazing constituency network up and down the coast. He meets with a lot of different groups, whether you um, lean progressive or lean conservative, and he loves bringing home the bacon for for our local residents. What he always says, though, when he's in those sorts of meetings is, I'll try and get you what you want. Let's just not call them earmarks. You know, he is a guy who is incredibly um, savvy when it comes to the national mood of his party and the talking points that help bolster um, his base. And so, you know, part of the performative nature, I think, about being a Georgia Republican right now is that you say one thing publicly and what you do privately might be another another matter. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not sure that this is good, again, for Americans at large. You know, you need, you need less performative action and more, I think, in-depth conversations about, about what is actually worth spending our money on and where we'd like the country to be in the next 20 years. Margaret, uh, expand on what you heard from Chart, because I think he made a point that, that you discussed, too, before the show went on the air with us. The, the, the notion that that huge $3.5 trillion bill, maybe those of us in the media uh, contributed to the reason that it's only seen by the price tag, because we haven't done as good a job as we should have, some of us, in breaking down what's involved in all of that. Yeah, you know, I think when um, for those of us who have been um, in the business in in the um, the the Bush uh, the Bush Junior days and Obama days, you know, there was a there was a large amount of of talking points that took place across across the nation about very specific policy issues. You know, when we were trying to figure out a way to pay for uh, and and even to pass, um, you know, whatever you call it, Obamacare, socialized medicine, um, subsidized health insurance. You know, all of those all of those debates were ba- backed by um, other deeper policy issues, um, whether it was a Cadillac tax or death panels. We were we were more substantive um, 10 years ago. We're not right now. Maybe part of that are the weird parliamentary congressional tactics that, you know, the current House leadership is using. The bill, as far as I understand it, the three point five billion dollar bill isn't even written yet. So it's kind of hard also to have substantive discussion when you don't have text to analyze and see how the numbers that that are being discussed in very big terms, um, where they've come from in depth. But 
you know, there is a toxicity about the 24-hour news cycle whereby talking heads um, seem to reduce complex policy and complex politics into very, very simple sports terminology. Maybe we could get more input if we started a fantasy Congress league where everybody could follow their favorite congressperson and actually get engaged in another way. Kevin, I want to give you a last chance at this before we have to uh, go. Margaret could not be more right about this, in my, in my view. Um, if you look at this, what the what's trying to be passed, they're enormously important things, whether you agree or not. They ought to be debated on their merits. And instead, Congress is so dysfunctional, has to pass it through this rec- reconciliation bill. And people, voters, are not given the insights that they need and understandings that would help average Americans. Well, I promise you, we're going to keep trying to break these things down as complicated as they sometimes can be. But uh, we all could go do better in how we report on huge issues like this one. We're out of time uh, completely for today's show. Chart Riggle, Margaret Coker, Kevin Riley, thank you for a terrific uh, conversation. I really appreciate your all being with us. And thank you for listening once again to our show today. As we come down to just uh, the last couple days of the pledge drive, I'm going to throw it back to the pledge team uh, so that uh, they can encourage you if you have the means to get involved in helping support us. I'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, take care. Stay healthy. Wear your mask when you're inside. The Delta variant is still out there. And uh, get a flu shot because I know you've already gotten your, uh, your COVID vaccination. See you all tomorrow.